This is my eighth talk on telling the stories from God's Word, word of mouth, and this is the one where the rubber meets the road. And sometimes when the rubber meets the road, there's some dirt that gets in contact with the tire because the road is dirty. And so anyway, Genevieve was like, oh no, Izzy, you can't put that tire on your lap, you're going to get dirt on yourself. And I said, that's actually the point. Because this is the, this is the talk where we're going to talk about the who question. Who can tell stories from God's word and who can listen to them? And it's like, basically it's like this. You're the tire and those people are the road. And you come in contact with them and stuff happens. And you go somewhere. And there, there are some people, they, um, they like kind of avoid contact with certain kinds of people. Or they would avoid relationships with certain people that don't think like them. Or maybe are kind of dirty. Or maybe just, they just don't, I think most people don't even think about it. But it's really easy to kind of slip into, um, the religious ghetto and just live in our clique of good people and kind of not have a lot of contact with people that don't fit those criteria. Um, yeah, but the thing is, is, if we're like that tire, when we do that, then our tires just sit there, in the air, sit there in the air spinning, and they don't come in contact with the dirty road, and we never end up going anywhere, right? So can you see the analogy there? When we, when we the rubber, meet the dirty road, it might get a little messy. Yes, we might get some dirt on ourselves, so to speak, but we're going to go somewhere that way instead of just sitting there spinning our wheels, right? So that's what we're going to talk about today. The who... Um, here's the first question. Who can tell God's stories? And the answer is, everybody! Including the people who don't think they can. This is something that I've noticed. Maybe someone would say, you know, I, I could no, never tell a story from God's Word. You know, I just, I, I'm not, I don't feel super fluent. I, it would be pretty awkward. I've never done anything like that before. But if you ask that Baba about her grandkids, she'll start telling stories right away. Or if you ask that fisherman about the big one, he'll start telling you the story right away and he'll be right into it. And all of a sudden, have you ever noticed that with people? You might have people that would be like, oh, I could never tell a story from God's word. Oh, I just couldn't do that. But they are storytellers. Everybody, everybody on the planet is a storyteller. Why? Because our Creator is a storyteller. And He made us like Him. He made us to tell stories. So what do we do when we get together? We tell stories about the kids. We tell stories about the grandkids. We tell stories about the recent hunting trip. Uh, you name it, eh? So that's, that's the first question. And that's the first answer. Who can tell God's stories? Everybody. And of course, everybody has their own style. Maybe different people will tell stories to different sets of people. You know, some of us here might never stand up in front of a couple hundred people and tell one of God's stories. But some of us here might tell God's stories to our children or grandchildren. Okay? So that's the next question, actually. Um, who can we tell his stories to? The answer, <laughs> the answer is, yeah, almost everyone. I mean, there are some people that are very closed and they just don't want to hear anything from you, right? And you can't really tell a story to people like that but you know what? Most people like stories. Most people are open to stories. And uh, so that's, that's the answer with that. Actually, 
we're going to look at some specifics, some specific subcultures and groups of people in the Western world that we can tell God's stories to that maybe haven't heard very much about him yet or maybe would be closed to other, um, other ways of, uh, of, of uh, talking about our Creator. But before we do that, maybe I, I, just, I just want to brainstorm with you guys. I want you to tell me, who do you think in your world or in our world could we tell his stories to and why? Yeah, I, I, have some, I have some ideas along those lines also, and I totally agree with you. Uh, have you noticed most of us don't have massive social networks? Like, most of us don't have thousands of friends, or even thousands of acquaintances, eh? If you were to ask your average person, who are the people that you see on a daily basis that you have meaningful conversation or contact with? Most of us could list them on the fingers of one hand. You know, well, the people I live with at home... Uh, maybe a neighbor or two, although often in um, suburb life and in uh, the, the way that our lives are structured, we don't even, many of us don't even have meaningful contact with our neighbors. Uh, co-workers, you might have a couple of co-workers that you see on a regular basis. And, uh, and then friends that you get together and do stuff with, go out for coffee with or whatever. But have you noticed that? Like, how many people's phone numbers do you have memorized? Oh, you used to have quite a few memorized and then you got the memory thing, hey? Yeah. I, I like to say, you know who your real friends are by whose phone number you have memorized. If you, know, if you have someone's number memorized, then you probably know them pretty well. They're either family or they're, they're good friends. Or something like that. I'm sure there are humorous um, examples that would, that would not fit that, that general rule. But, but, but I've noticed that. You know, and, and, but for most of us, we don't have like these massive social networks. Like, some people do. Like I, I'm more of a networker. I like to get out there. I love meeting new people. I just I love people. You know, it just seems to be like in my blood. It's in my it's in my spiritual DNA. You know, and um, but but for most people aren't aren't really like that, eh? And so for most of us, if we were to ask the father, who can I tell your stories to? It would probably look something like the people that you live with in your own home, your family members, uh, maybe a neighbor or two if you have some. You have some good rapport with them. Uh, your co-workers, because you see them... Have you ever noticed that often you see your co-workers more than your friends? Some people spend more time with their co-workers than they do with their own family. You know, um, That's a good one. Uh, and if you have friends or buddies that you do coffee with, or you're in, you have some common interest group, uh, maybe you like to basket weave. Herb, you probably are we're big into basket weaving, hey? Yeah, all your basket weaving buddies or something like that. <laughs> Or, 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 you know, if you're, if you're into sports, you'll, you'll probably have some really good friends to your sports team. That's kind of a new chapter in my life here in PA. It's like having friends that I really don't have too, too, too much in common with, other than we, we wrestle with each other. We roll around on the floor together and try and choke each other for half an hour. It's a really interesting relationship I, I have with my, with, my, with my wrestling buddies, eh? But those, those are some examples. Those are, those are just some of the, like the no-brainer places to start, eh? And I think it's really easy for us to overlook those because we just take those people for granted. We get almost a little too comfortable or a little too relaxed around people like that. And sometimes maybe it doesn't hurt to just stop and say, Father, who are the people that I have in my life right now that you have brought into my life that I could tell your stories to? You know, you don't necessarily have to go halfway around the world. You don't necessarily have to drive across town to find someone or go and try and make a new friend. Uh, my guess is the Father already has people in your life that you can start with. So, isn't that encouraging? Woohoo! There are a couple specific like subgroups and cultures that I want to look at, though, that I think this concept of 
telling the stories from his word to will be very uh, strategically effective. Um, we're going to talk about children. Uh, we're going to talk about uneducated people, like illiterates, non-literates, um, and that would also include like religiously uneducated people, so unchurched people that just have never read the Bible or don't really know anything about the Bible other than what they have learned from the Da Vinci Code and movies like that. Um, we're going to look at non-religious people like atheists and agnostics, which probably most Christians would view as the hardest nuts to crack or the people that you would most likely not talk about anything spiritual. And then we're also going to look at people from other religions and postmoderns. So we're going to look at each of those uh, you guys, when, I, when I'd asked you, who are the people that we could tell the stories from his word to, the first thing you said was children and grandchildren. And I think that, I think that's the right priority. You know, when, when, when God, Elohim, gives us children, like, he, he, he gives us this calling to, uh, to, well, to live exemplary lives, to like, to be models that they can look up to and, and want to be like, of course, but also, you know, like to teach them verbally, to, to sit down and, and look at the word with them and explain the word in meaningful ways and, and, and those kinds of things. And, you know, as a relatively new Abba, I guess I'm still getting into that groove. I'm still asking the father, what's the best way that I can do that with, with my daughter? You know, how can I teach her your word? How can I make it meaningful to her? And that's, that's been an ongoing, ongoing journey for us, for sure. But I think a really big one is just telling our kids and our grandkids the stories from His Word. Because if we don't do it, really, who is going to do it, eh? Is the culture going to do it? Nope. Um, if you take your child to a, a church or something, then maybe you're the Sunday school teacher will once a week, maybe, or maybe they won't even hear the stories from His Word at Sunday school all the time, eh? So, you know, we just, we definitely don't want to be outsourcing our, our children's spiritual upbringing exclusively to, you know, to the government or to a religious organizations, because that's my job as a dad, you know, and that's our job as, as grandparents too, right? I know it's a little different when you're grandparents, you don't see your grandkids regularly, but I think, I think the same thing applies, right? So that's, I, I find that really exciting. I, I have two stories to read you actually, um, from this book, uh, Truth That Sticks by Avery Willis. Hey, this is pretty sweet. Look at this. I can take my iPhone with my notes and I can just stick it right there on the tire. It's like a little desktop um, desk, I guess. Or laptop desk. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have two stories to re- read you about um, telling stories from, from God's Word to children. Here's one from uh, page 58. I, I believe this was um, Avery Willis tells this story. He says, Most of the Bible stories I know came from my grandmother. Every winter, my parents went on a two-week vacation, and my brother and I stayed with Mimi, our grandmother. Is that how you say that? That's like a southern... I wasn't sure, maybe Mimi or Mimi. Anyway, we'll say Mimi. As part of getting us ready for bed, my grandmother pulled the shades, turned out the lights, and told us a Bible story. No Bibles were present in that dark room. We couldn't have read them anyway. She was our Bible, and she wouldn't tell anything except Bible stories. We never let her tell just one. Throughout my childhood, my brother and I must have heard hundreds of stories from her. And Mimi knew her Bible. I never remember her reading anything other than her Bible. When she told the stories, she never stumbled. They flowed from her with seemingly little effort. (laughs) That's not me. She brought the Bible to life, and I humbly appreciate the heritage she poured into my life. Ultimately, Mimi got us to fall in love with the Lord. 
Because she had a bond with the Lord to begin with, it shaped every intonation, every syllable, and every ounce of her being. Sometimes she would cry, and we'd cry too. Our emotions and reactions were real, because she cared enough to make the stories real. Those stories made God's truth stick in our hearts. Or sorry, that wasn't, that wasn't Avery Wells, that was the co-author, Mark Mark's Snowden. What, what, what grabs you from that story from Mark about growing up hearing his Mimi telling Bible stories? Yeah, that hit me too. Because I've noticed, you know, sometimes there will be someone talking and I just, you can tell they're, they're, they're not passionate about what they're talking about. They're just, maybe it's a job for them or it's just a lecture they have to give or something like that. And I, I find those kinds of things really boring and I have a very hard time following them, you know. But when I see someone who's really passionate about what they're talking about, it just, it grabs me. You know, I can't help but listen. It's just there's something about passion that's so authentic and so uh um, like engaging, yeah. So I totally agree with you on that, Genevieve. Yeah. Anything else from this little account really uh, speak to you? I liked how they had a little tradition because we've been learning with Tirza that like kids love having little traditions, you know. So when they were over at her place, like you know, they, they, she'd put them to bed, she would close the curtains and turn off the lights, and then they would just sit there in the dark and she'd tell this story. That's such a neat tradition. It probably helped them to like actually focus on the story too. Hey, eh? <laughs> that you know they couldn't be touching everything else and playing with anything else. You know, and it was a cool, it was a different environment. You know, without them realizing why she was doing it. We'll have to try that at our place some Friday night. Hey, Genevieve, we'll turn off all the lights and then we'll tell the story, and that might scare everybody. But. Hey, that's a fun idea. Yeah, sometimes uh, we have that screen in the corner of our room, and I pulled a 20-minute video off YouTube of like a fireplace. So it looks just like a real fireplace on our screen, right? So often on Arab Shabbat, we'll like put the fire fire on the fireplace in the corner. We'll have to do that, Genevieve, and we'll turn off all the lights and just leave the fire crackling. That would create such a neat atmosphere, yeah. It's pa- The nice warm crackling. Um, I, it's it really powerful here. How he says she was our Bible. You know, for those kids, like their Mimi was their Bible that they read, that they that they heard, and everything. So just like think about that. There are some you like there for some people. You are their Bible. Yeah. Man. I read one more story for you from here about um, about parents teaching their kids by telling them stories from God's word. Okay, this is a this is a, I'll just they have a little intro. He says um, when I taught the staff how to use Bible storing in their small groups. Brandon Gwinden, now executive pastor of Real Life Ministries, was the small group's pastor. He wasn't sold on Bible storing, but he thought he'd give it a try. Brandon recounted, and then here's the story here. I told this story of the fall of man. 
I was real nervous because I had always led a small group using a curriculum. I liked that structure. I overprepared and tried to memorize the story too much. But when we jumped into the story, I noticed something right off the bat that I'd never seen before. People were engaged. They were sitting forward in their chairs. And what amazed me was that people were listening like they'd never heard the story, although I knew they had because we'd studied it before. When I began to ask them to tell the story back to me, people who never spoke up before began to answer. And then the whole group got involved. I sat there almost in an observer while the group self-corrected itself on the story. To be honest with you, it was somewhat frustrating. I said, it can't be this easy. I've spent all these years working with curriculum. It was incredible to me to watch how effective it was. Then, a single gal in the group who has three boys and was, unusual, was usually pretty quiet really got engaged and told more of the story than anyone else. I asked the questions about what we learn about God and man, but when I got to the question on how we could apply this story, I looked over at her and she was crying. I stopped the group wondering what I had said wrong, and one of the other gals asked Terry what was wrong. She said, For the first time, I feel like I can go home and teach the Bible to my boys. Can I tell this story to them? Of course we said she could. So she said, Then I can disciple my children. That was, that was really powerful to hear. You know, because we live in a culture where there is an increasing number of single parents, uh, more often than not, single moms. And I just wonder, like, how many of these gals, maybe they just become like a new believer in Yeshua. And they have kids. And they're like, I want to disciple my kids. I want to teach them about God. But I don't feel that smart. I don't feel like I, you know, maybe those kinds of things. And just for parents to realize, I can disciple my kids by telling them the stories from his word. This is something simple. This is something I can do. That's, that just, that really got me excited. Like, that is powerful. And here's the thing. Did you notice where this mom learned to disciple her kids? It was, yeah, it was in a group. It was in a group of people that were, that were telling the stories from his word. So that, was that something that they sat down and said, okay, we're going to teach you how to do this? Or was it something that she just caught? Yeah, I, I think that's very powerful. If you have to sit down and tell someone how to do something and tell them to do it, that doesn't always work so well. But if you have a group culture where people are excited and they're into something and it's simple and anybody can do it, those are the kinds of things that can spread, that can go viral, that can actually equip parents to disciple their kids, that kind of idea. Eh? So that's, that's something that I would like to grow in as a community. I'm not saying let's not read the Bible anymore, right? We're not, I'm not, we're not going to go that route, but it's something that I'd like to grow in and I'll, I'll lay out for you kind of what I want that to look like in future weeks. But I, I want to have something where we do as a community tell the stories from His Word. Because I really hope, I really hope that we'll have a lot of new believers in our midst. I really hope that we'll have a lot of parents that want to know how to disciple their kids. And I don't want to just sit there and tell them, okay, well, you go home and you do this. I just want to be a community where we, we have a culture that they, can, that they can catch contagiously, right? That's, that's something I would really love to see. I think that would be a very powerful uh, uh, discipling technique. So that's the first group I wanted to profile there. Just teaching kids and grandkids, uh, our kids and, you know, other kids too. Um, if you have like nephews or nieces or, or different kind of neighborhood kids, man, these are great places to start. I mean, I, I think back to my um, experiences with my uncles and aunts, and I, I, can, I can remember so clearly like the, the conversations I had with my uncles and aunts and 
playing with them growing up. And I think, you know, if we have nephews and nieces even, that's a really cool place to do that. Because uncles and aunts, have you ever noticed, they just have a special place in your heart. They're like, I don't know, like, do you, do you guys even know what the Hebrew word for uncle and aunt means? The Hebrew word for uncle is dod. Everybody say dod. And, and aunt is doda. Say doda. Yeah, it's from the same root as like uh, Yadidia or Jedidiah, and also David, the name David. Um, it's all from the root to like to be someone that you really like, someone that is dear to your heart, a good friend. That is what the word Hebrew word for uncle and aunt means. Someone you really like, a good friend, someone who's dear to your heart. Right. So hey, even like just uh, learning to tell his stories to um, nephews and nieces could be a really a uh, could be a, have a lot of uh, a lot of potential there. Um, another group that I really believe... Oh, here we go. Metronome. <laughs> Turn that off. I thought I was going to kick on with one of those songs or something again. But another group that I, I, I believe telling the stories from God's Word can really engage effectively is uneducated people. We talked about this a little bit. But when you have like illiterate or non-literate people... Or when you have religiously uneducated people, people who don't know the Bible, um, sometimes the way we talk as 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 uh, believers goes totally over their heads. Right? They have no idea what we're talking about, and they can't. If we have a visitor like that, they really can't be involved in the conversation. But when, in addition to those high-level advanced talks, we also have some story content when we gather. That's the kind of thing that anybody can relate to. Because a story is very cool, because it has a beginning and an end, and it's understandable all by itself, right? It's like, it's, a, it's an independent unit. And so, you can sit there and you can tell a story, and anybody from any background can hear that story. They don't need to know the Bible, they don't even know, need to know how to read, because they can sit there and hear it, right? So can you see how if we want to be a community that is welcoming to, like, um, uneducated people, and unchurched, like religiously uneducated people, I think this is something that we're going to want to have in our culture. I know, have, have any of you guys ever had an experience where you went to a social event or went to some religious gathering and you just felt like an outsider? Yeah. And it's like you were there with people but you felt lonely inside and you just, you just wanted to leave. And it's like, I'm never going back there. I just felt totally excluded or I felt like an outsider. You know, and I had a couple of times like that in my life, and it, it really, it wasn't a very, very pleasant experience. And but it really gave me a new sympathy for people that come into our community who maybe feel like outsiders. You know, what can I do to talk on a level so that they get it, so that they don't feel like I'm talking over their heads and like they don't really belong here? Um, what can we do as groups when we're studying His Word? So that no matter who comes, they'll be able to get something out of it. They won't feel like an outsider, right? Those are, those are some big questions that I, I hope we can be a, we can be thinking about. And, and quite frankly, um, in most of the messianic communities that I have been to, the level of midrash and scripture discussion is so high and so advanced and so full of like fancy words and technical jargon and whatever the messianic version of Christianese would be that if you had like a friend that you invited or someone from a non-religious background, they would get nothing out of it. They would be totally lost. They would totally feel like an outsider. And I have. I've been at, I've been at things, both Christian and messianic things, where there were people there that were new believers and they just, you could tell they were lost. Like, they, it was all going over their heads. 
And that, 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 that hurts me. I hurt for people like that. Because those are like Yeshua's little ones. Like those are, those are his new sheep. Like those are the people he cares for the most. Those are our babies. You know? It's like our job is to care for the babies and teach the babies and raise the babies. Not to leave them, leave them on the side. You know? We're a family. So anyway, like that's something that I, that's really on my heart that I, that I care about. And I think this is one of those things where, again, it's not either or, right? It's not like either we tell stories from his word or we have like Bible study. And, uh, and we really get into stuff. But I, I would like to see something where we tell a story from his word and have a little discussion about it to start our gatherings. And then we can go into more advanced Bible study. Then everybody gets something out of it. The babies feel like they're part of things. We start with something that's entry level and that they understand. And then we can go deeper from there, right? And uh, anyway, that's, that's a concept that we can develop in, in, in further weeks. But that's, a, that's something I'd really like to... to um, Look at. I have um, one. We'll look at one more group here, and then I'll do the rest of this talk next week. I'm thinking uh, another group, related group, that telling God's stories uh, to can can be like a, it can be an engaging thing. Sorry, that I just totally butchered that sentence grammatically. It's like, pfft, sorry. Can I just? We'll just skip that sentence, okay? Uh, what What would you say, Genevieve? Bah. Just what? Bah. Ah, okay, anyway, sorry. I'm, I'm having too much fun with this right now. <laughs> but another group is uh, non-religious people, like atheists and agnostics. Uh, something you'll find is people who wouldn't take a tract from you or wouldn't really want you to take them through this four spiritual laws, they will be more open to you telling them a story. I mean, and I even think about myself. If I had a Muslim friend... And they wanted to sit down and go over, look over a bunch of verses in the Quran with me and give me like four points or something. I'd be like, how about not, maybe? But if I had a friend, a Muslim friend, and they're like, could I tell you a story about Muhammad? I'd be like, yeah, I, actually, I like stories, you know? And I, I, I like learning about other, other religions and world history. Sure, tell me a story. I personally would be more open to hearing a story, even if it's from a viewpoint that I disagree with, than I would be to hearing someone like lay out a bunch of their ideology. Uh, right? So that's, that's, that's my personal experience. And I think, I don't think I'm, I'm the only one who would feel like that. I have a story for you about that actually. Um, from this book that I already read to you a couple times from today. Okay. So, this is, a, this is um, an account from a guy who leads a, a community in, um, I, think, I think it's in Seattle, Washington, somewhere in the northwest states. His name is Caesar Kalinowski. And I actually, I heard him speak at the Verge conference. And um, he's the guy that we talked about a couple weeks ago who started that, uh, that storytelling session at the coffee house. And he was able to build a lot of relationships and, and tell God stories to people that would never otherwise have heard them, eh? And so anyway, here's, here's a little something from him. Uh, Caesar said that one couple in his church experienced a real low point in their marriage when, in her mid-30s, the wife decided she, quote, was done with God. Her husband, quote, tried everything, including forcing her to go to church. <laughs> I wonder what that looked like. <laughs> quote, my wife and I went out with them as a couple, remembered Caesar. She was awesome. Over time, we built relational trust. 
We even had our missional community, our small group meeting, at their home. She was a great hostess, but she'd go upstairs when the story started. Then we did the story of God in three nights. That's like a, something they do where they go over the big main stories in the scriptures, the story of God, right? Anyway, um, she was engaged from the start. She had killer questions. Her husband was shocked. In three nights, she was transformed. Came to Sunday gatherings. We all said, what? What's going on? She'd be like the first one whose hand would go up. The woman was coming alive spiritually. Through attending a woman's retreat, all the pieces came together for her. Caesar went on. She spilled her guts about things bothering her. She became a believer, probably for the first time. She had never been able to piece all the stories together. From Genesis to Jesus, she heard these stories, but never believed she measured up. She couldn't believe that God would actually forgive her sins, what she'd done. She thought that she couldn't get her questions answered. Through storying, stuff she wondered about came up in the dialogue. God used stories from the Bible, personal relationships, and a loving group to draw her into a life-changing transformation. So that, that, that was an example about a woman who was very closed to faith. She just didn't want to talk about God with anybody. Uh, would only go to church if she was forced, whatever that looked like. Just imagine like tying her up and carrying her like fireman left or something to church or something. But you know, but but because her husband was involved in a group that came to her house, did you get that? She wouldn't go to church, but the church came to her. There was a group in her house, and she just heard those stories because they were there, and she saw real people. Um, had loving relationships and those things combined to really like maybe bring down those barriers or, or help her to like really understand the word for the first time eh? so anyway that was, that was a story that really meant a lot to me I can just imagine being that husband like wow I, I, I would be so relieved I'd be so thankful you know? so here's, um, here's a little illustration I'll, I'll finish this talk with do you remember how we talked about how um God says in His Word that His Word is like a sword, right? And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Like swords are things that that um that sever between that sever an object asunder. A sword is something that penetrates, that chops, that splits. Uh, those kinds of things. It's actually kind of a violent. It's kind of a violent analogy, eh? I mean, it's almost I'm almost a little uncomfortable with it. Like it kind of kind of reminds me of like if you can imagine like like hardcore fundamentalist believers and arguing about the Bible and using the Bible versus like their machine gun bullets and kind of, you know, maybe maybe you've even seen that in churches or even in the messianic movement. I remember when, with the whole like one law divine invitation um, uh, debate, you know, there was like, it was like there's two sides and they both had their guns and they had their guns all stocked up with their Bible versus ammo, right? And it's like, and they jump back, right? And the other person jumps back, and they fire their Bible verses at the other person, right? It's kind of one of those things. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about here, right? So when we're talking about God's word as a sword, we're not talking about using it as a weapon against people. We're not talking about using it to hurt people or wound them in any way. Um, I, I, liked, I liked what we talked about before. I, I would see it more like sometimes people have these defenses built up. They have clutter. And what the Father wants to do is He wants to cut through that clutter. He wants to... S- he wants to chop through the defenses and reach that person with his love and engage that person personally. Maybe, maybe it's like some people's heart is like that, that princess locked in the castle and he wants to come and bulldoze the castle or, or break through those walls and rescue the princess. That kind of idea, eh? So anyway, if, um, oops. 
if you could imagine me being a soldier and going into war, need this, you know. Okay, so let's say that I'm a soldier going into war. And here I have my weapon, my tool, and could you imagine me pulling it out and rushing towards the enemy and then stopping and being like, this sword is very sharp. Really, it is. I just sharpened it last night. Whetstone, then with a fine leather. It is so sharp. Feel this sword. You can, you can feel how sharp it is. This is a sharp sword. It was made by one of the finest sword manufacturers in my whole country. It's a real sword. It's dangerous. It's powerful. It could chop things to pieces. Could you imagine if like soldiers went charging towards the enemy and then they stopped and they started defending their weapon? What do you do with a weapon? What do you do with a tool in general? You use it, right? You wield it. And I really believe that that's a picture of what we are called to do with the tool that we have been given to change the world. The tool that we have been given to change the world one person at a time is His Word. I love His Word. I am so excited about His Word, right? And that's why I'm, I'm pumped about telling the stories from His Word. So here's, here's what that would look like, okay? With that last group of people that we're talking about, let's say you have non-religious people, um, atheists or agnostics, don't defend your sword. Just use your sword. And what that means is, you don't have to start getting into an argument to prove what, how the Bible is true, or prove, like, Prove why this story is historically accurate, right? Don't go there. Just use your sword. Just tell the story. Why? Because you are not engaging the person's mind. You are engaging the person's heart. God's word is designed to engage our hearts. He speaks to our hearts, right? And when we tell his word, it's not like us trying to mentally convince someone of something. We tell his word and he backs it with the power of his spirit that breaks through barriers, that cuts through clutter, clutter that reaches people's hearts, eh? Have you ever noticed that? There are a lot of, there are a lot of, um, I hope it's not scaring you guys, me like standing here with this machete, but it's kind of fun. But anyway, like there are a lot of people and they have been burned by the church. They have been hurt by religious people. And as a result, they have these huge barriers up and they are mental barriers. But the real issue is their hearts, that they have been hurt. And I really believe the Father wants us to learn how to just sidestep the barriers, cut through the clutter, and really just speak to people's hearts. His Word speaks to people's hearts, eh? So, just, just leave you with that, you know? May, let's say you know someone and they're just very antagonistic towards faith. They hate the church. They're sworn atheists or they're entrenched agnostics. That's okay. If, if they'll let you, tell the stories anyway. Don't defend your tool, just use your tool, and His Spirit will do the rest. Does that sound good? Shalom, I'm Izzy Avraham, and thank you for joining me for this talk. I delivered these messages live during the years I was leading a congregation. They're now hosted by my Hebrew school, Holy Language Institute, at holylanguage.com. If you're interested in the talks I've done since then, or if you'd just like to say thank you for these teachings, become a member 
at holylanguage.com.